Well, good morning. I'm glad to see you. Glad you could be here. I want to welcome those worshiping with us online today. Hope you're having a good day, and I hope that you did order some barbecue. It's good, and uh, I'm going to take advantage of it today, and if you didn't order any, well, you didn't get any. Okay, so maybe next time you will. Hey, we've been talking about starting point. What's it like to have a starting point in our faith? We've been talking about how it's different to have a starting point as children as it is to have a starting point as adults. And maybe as you were growing up, maybe you gained your faith as a child, and then you grew up, and there was a gap between what you learned and were taught as a child and what you experienced as an adult. And you looked around, and when you were a child, you were taught God loves all the little children, all the children of the world. And you believe that, and, and then he does, he does love all the little children. But when you became an adult, you looked around and you saw some children that didn't look like they were loved very much. And maybe they were left out and marginalized. And you struggled with that. You wrestled with that. How do I reconcile that? And so you, you have a kind of a mixed feeling about the whole thing. And, and maybe it's other issues as well that you've struggled with. Well, today I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about how maybe we begin to bargain or negotiate with God. Most of us here have bargained or negotiated with God. We may not remember it. We may not want to admit it. But we have. God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this, right? And, and when we do that, then if something works out for us, we say, well, God really didn't answer that prayer. I was just lucky. It just worked out. And so we don't hold up our part of the bargain then, do we? And so we want to negotiate with God. Even atheists negotiate with God. I mean, it doesn't make any sense because they don't believe in God. But just in case, they, they negotiate. They say things like this. To whom it may concern. If there's anybody out there, I've reached the end of my rope, and I don't know what to do. Show me a sign. I need proof now, Right? We don't keep our end of the deal, though, and we just say, well, God really didn't do it. So when it works out in our favor, how do we respond? Now, there are two big assumptions that we make when we bargain with God. And the first one is this. God knows that you exist. See, you wouldn't bargain or negotiate with somebody if you didn't think they believed that you existed. How would that help you, right? And so you, you may believe in God more than you realize if you're saying, I want to bargain with you, even though you don't know if he knows that you exist because you're bargaining with him, you must think that. The second assumption that we sometimes make is we believe that God has something or we have something that God wants from us. What can we give to God? And, and that's, that's the same thing that, that we can't really uh, make a, a case for because we don't have anything that God needs or wants. Only God can give to us. But there's a thing that differentiates Christianity from all other faith systems, and that's really good news. And that is this. God doesn't want something from you. He doesn't. He, you can't bargain or negotiate with him because he doesn't want something from you. God wants something for you. And that's a big difference. That's really the main difference. And the reason there's no point in bargaining with God is because we don't have anything he wants. In the Christian faith, there's a word that encapsulates this big demarcation between Christianity and other faith systems, and it's the word grace. We're saved 
by grace. It's not something we do, but rather it's something that God does for us. Now, chances are all of you here, every person here, we've all experienced grace of one kind or another, right? How many of you have experienced some kind of grace? Boy, I had to take that library book back, and, and they didn't charge me a fortune, and, you know, I was going to have to go to prison over that library book. Y'all don't even know what library books are. You don't even know what a library is, do you? When I was growing up, it was right after the earth cooled, we had these things called books, and you opened them up, and you read, and there were words in there. People typed them out on a page, and you read them, and there's just a whole new language, a whole new world you're discovering right now, isn't it? Because you don't even know about that. Let's say that you went to the gas station, and you got up to pay, and you were out of money. You had some money, but you didn't have enough money. And you were short a little bit, and you were kind of embarrassed, and you looked at the person behind the counter, and you said, I I'm short about $2. And she reached in the jar, and she pulled out $2, and she handed it to you, and you gave it back to her, and you paid for your stuff, and she doesn't even know you. That's grace, isn't it? We've all had grace at one time or another. In fact, some of our staff have proven that the businesses here in Panama City Beach have grace. I know that for a fact. I'll tell you what else I've learned. I've learned that our staff is very persuasive. They scare me sometimes. For example, let's take Katie Winton. Katie Winton, our IT person. Katie Winton, who has a team, puts all this stuff together, all the stuff on the screen, all the videos, works all the time. One day she's working like a Trojan in there. She decides she's going to get something to eat. She jumps in her car. She runs across the road. She goes to Hardy. She gets up to the drive through window, and she realizes, oh, I forgot my wallet. It's still at the office. And so she just told him, I'm sorry. I'm so embarrassed. I can't. I ordered, but I forgot my wallet. I left it right here at the office. I, I work close by. What am I going to do? And they just gave her the food at Hardy. They gave it to her. They said, well, here, just take it. It's free. And now whenever the staff gets hungry, we send Katie out to pick up lunch for us. Go somewhere expensive this time. We want something really good, okay? Listen, that's not the only thing. Bill Small, Bill Small. Somebody in the early service asked me, where's Bill? I said, well, he puts all the services together, but he plays in the contemporary now. If you want to see him, you'll have to come over and eyeball him over there at the youth CR room for the 1015 uh, service. And so they said, okay, well, come look at him. Well, Bill Small, one day his wife, Sylvia, runs a preschool. She said, Bill, I need you to go pick up 100 pizzas for the preschool. 100 pizzas. She said, we're going to have all these parents, all these children, all their friends. We've invited the church. We're going to have this big thing, and they're already ready. You just go pick them up and bring them back. we got to have them here by such and such time. So Bill goes up to the pizza place. And he goes in, he said, hi, I'm Bill Small. I'm here from Woodlawn. I'm here to pick up 100 pizzas. And they said, we, we don't have any pizzas for Woodlawn. I don't know what you're talking about. He said, listen, my wife sent me up here, and I'm not going back empty-handed. I mean, I want you, I see, I can smell you're cooking them. Get them out of here. I want them now. Bring me 100 pizzas. And those people, the manager came out, and they said, sir, we'll take care of it. And they cooked him 100 pizzas. They got them all ready. They handed them to him. And they said, listen, we, we don't have a record of it. Just take them. Just take the pizza, a hundred pizza, just take them. I'm so sorry for the mix-up. They're yours. And Bill comes back, and he's bragging to his wife, Sylvia. I got these pizzas. It wasn't easy. I went up. You said they were there. I went up there. They didn't have them. But I hung in there like grim death. I got them, and they're here. I delivered them because I'm a pure man. I drive a big truck, and I got these pizzas. That's right. And she said, well, where'd you go? And he said, CC's, like you said. She said, I didn't say to go to CC's. 
I said to go to Little Caesars. Now go pick up those hundred pizzas at Little Caesars. I've already paid for them. So now he's got to go get those other 100 pizzas at Little Caesars. Then he's got to take a check in and get on his knees up there at CeCe's and says, please forgive me and pay for the other 100. And they had pizza for breakfast, lunch, and dinner at the small house for a month. That's all they did was eat pizza. But now that's grace, isn't it? Grace is what's offered us the idea, and it's at the epicenter of Christianity, this idea that drives everything that relates to the following of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus means we've experienced Christ. Now, the definition of grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited means we didn't do anything to deserve it. There's nothing we can do to deserve it. And, and really, grace is all about the one who dispenses the grace. Because it's all about him. God gives us the grace. It's not about the receiver of the grace. We don't do anything. We just take it. But he's the one who gives it to us. Grace sets God apart from all the other gods of all the other pagan religions. In a world of grace, it's unmerited, undeserved favor. The Apostle Paul describes the importance of grace when you consider having a starting point with God. You have to understand grace to understand what it means to have faith and to begin your starting point with him. In Ephesians, Ephesus was a port city back in the day, and it was a busy place, and ships came in and out of there. If you go there today, it's nowhere near the water. It's totally different because the water has receded away from it. But back in the day, it was all about being a port city. And the book of Ephesians, Paul wrote, and it was distributed to a bunch of different churches. And Paul shows up in history, but he's not known as Paul. He's known as Saul. And Saul persecuted Christians, and he was really serious about it. He was zealous about it. He would persecute. He would arrest. He would kill Christians. He tried to stop Christianity and stamp out the church completely. And then something amazing happened. This guy who persecuted Christians, the number one Christian killer, became a Christian. And he had that Damascus Road experience and God spoke to him and blinded him momentarily. For a few days, he couldn't see. And during that experience, God spoke to him. He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm God. I'm Jesus Christ, whom you're persecuting. And he totally changed. He turned his life around. God did it through him. And in his life now, he was just as zealous to share the faith. And this guy who was a Christian killer went out and started more, planted more churches than anybody in his generation. Now, only God could do that, couldn't he? Because only God could make something like that happen. So he's writing from prison, and he's in Rome, and he's writing about 65 A.D. Now, this was only 30 years after Jesus walked on this earth. And so he's not writing about what he's heard about Jesus. He's writing because he's been talking to people who were eyewitnesses, people who were alive to see Jesus, people who saw Jesus die and be resurrected, first-hand witnesses. He's listening to them. He's talking to them, and he's talking about grace. And here's what he writes in Ephesians. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, by dead, he meant that you were separated from God. See, we're all born separated from God. When Adam and Eve sinned, 
sin came into the world. And since that time, we're all born separated from God. That's why every one of us has to make a decision to follow God and accept Jesus Christ as our Savior in order for us to be connected to God again. See, if you're dead, you're separated from life. And God is the one who gives us life. So he's saying in terms of your relationship to God, you don't have one. You're dead in that regard. And then he goes on and describes how far from God we are, how we violated our own conscience. And he elaborates on this whole idea of being a sinner. Now, we talked about this several weeks ago. We talked about we, can, we, we are sinners saved by grace. And then we said there's a new word people have come up with today. They don't like the word sin. They don't want to talk about sin. It's only in religious circles that that comes up. So they say, I'm not a sinner. I'm a mistaker. I made a mistake. It was just a mistake. Now, here's the problem with that. If you make a mistake, you can correct a mistake, can't you? But if you sin, only God can forgive your sin. And so, you know, if you make the same mistake repeatedly for four years, you can't say, I just made a mistake. It's a little more serious than that, isn't it? No, I don't think so. I, I'm a sinner. In fact, I chose to make that mistake. I'm definitely a sinner. And so I'm going to ask God to forgive me. And we reach a transition point here in the New American Standard Version. It says it this way. You were dead in your offenses and sins. But it goes on there in verse 4 and says, but God, being rich in mercy, God has extra mercy. Aren't you glad he does? Boy, I sure am glad. I'm glad that he's a merciful God. And Paul is writing about this amazing mercy of God because he realizes, hey, I should have been killed myself for persecuting Christians. But God showed his mercy and he forgave me. God said, okay, Paul, you're going to destroy the church. You're going to put my Christians in prison and arrest them and even kill them. I'm going to show the world how merciful I am. I'm going to choose the number one Christian killer, and I'm going to use you to plant more churches than anybody else in your generation. Now, that's God. Only God can do that. What do you say about that kind of mercy? Look what he says. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. He's talking about that. God answers the question, God, why would you listen to my prayers? Why would I deserve that? And he said, you don't deserve it. It's not something you did. It's something that I do for you. And the reason that people consider Christianity today is because of his great love with which he loved us. You see, God is the one who loves us. God is the one who works in our lives. God is the one that we focus on when we talk about grace. That's why we don't have to negotiate with God. We don't have to bargain with God. We don't have anything he wants, but he's got everything we need, and he's for us, and he wants to give us mercy. So now let's put it all together. Let's look at the scripture together. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness toward us 
and in, in Christ Jesus. See, Paul summarizes this. By grace, you have been saved. In other words, you were separated from God. He reunited you. He brought you into the relationship. And then he adds something. He says, through faith. You see, it's through faith that that takes place. When you acknowledge that God loves you and that Christ died for you, it's for you, by grace that you have been saved through faith. I've got to have faith to believe in that grace and accept it for myself. And then he says, and it is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. It's not a trade. It's not a bargain. It's not a negotiation. It's a free gift. I used to do this, and I've done this for years. When I'm talking to somebody and I'm going through the Roman road and I want to talk to them about becoming a Christian, I'll take some object and I'll say, now I've got a gift for you. We're sitting in my office. I've got a gift for you and I want to give it to you. Do you want to take it? And they've got to think about it, and they've got to decide if they want to take it or not. Now, as long as I hold it out there, it's just an offering. But when they think about it, and they decide they want it, and they reach out and take it, that's when it becomes a gift. And that's the way it is with the Christian faith and with grace. God has an offering for us. He's already prepared the way. He sent his son to die before we were even born. But before it can become a gift, we have to accept it. We have to want it. We have to take it. We have to receive it. And then it's the gift. Not as a result of works, he says, so that no one may boast. We can't brag, I'm saved. Look what I did. No, you didn't do anything. God did it. It's a grace gift. You didn't deserve it. And Paul says, I want you to understand God didn't take all your good character and all your hard work. He didn't leverage all that and save you because you don't have enough. There's nothing you can offer. He leveraged his own goodness and grace and holiness for you and for me. And so the question is, what standard am I going to use when I begin to look at my life and try to determine where I stand with God? Am I going to look at my behavior or am I going to look at God's grace? See, because my behavior won't get me anywhere. You know, and there are some religions that teach, well, you just got to do enough good deeds. You just got to keep doing good, good, good. And you, eventually, maybe you'll do enough good and God will love you. And a lot of folks believe that, but that's not true. It's not about us doing stuff. It's about us receiving the gift that he offers us. It's not about our behavior. It's about God's grace. Your behavior, there's nowhere on the planet there's a list of God that says, okay, do this, 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 this. Then I'll save you. He said, I've already done it. I've already sent my son. Now all you have to do is accept it. Now the other option is grace. And with that grace, then we can say, Lord, you know, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to be in right standing with you. And, and here's the question. A lot of people think, well, it's a, it's a blend. I'll do my part and God will do his part. Where'd you get that idea? Because <laughs> it's not in the Bible. See, it's once God saves us, then because we love him, we want to be obedient to him through his power, we begin to be the people he's shaping us into. We begin to act the way he's calling us to be. We begin to emulate him. Christian, Christ-like, we begin to be a follower of his. We start growing in grace, but it's not something we do. We're saved. I hope you'll remember what I'm about to say. This is significant, okay? Make sure that you catch this. Listen, all religion is summarized with do. It's what I do. 
how I do, everything I do. It's all about me doing, and then maybe I'll be good enough. <laughs> the Christian faith is summarized with done. It's already been done. Before you and I were even born, God sent his son to die, having no guarantee that you and I would take advantage of it and accept him as our Savior. He said, I've already done it. And all you can do is just embrace it. And you know, we struggle with that. We struggle with it because, you know, we know that we're sinners saved by grace, but, but we're not perfect. We're human. And when we mess up, we think God can't love us. But, you know, as Christians, when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ because we're covered by the blood of Jesus. Jesus was the perfect lamb who was slain, who died and paid for our sins. There's nothing we have that will pay for our sins. It's already been done. You see, in all religion. It's about what you do in order to get God interested in you. But in Christianity, the essence of it is it's already been done. Do you know why we as Christians forgive? Because we've been forgiven. Do you know why we give and why we're generous? Because it's been given to us. Do you know why we serve? Because we've been served. Do you know why we're kind to people? Because God has been kind to us. Do you know why we submit and surrender and we put other people first? It's because God put us first, and he taught us how to do that. And Christian marriage, what's that all about? It's about out-surrendering, out-submitting, out-working. It's about serving one another, and it's a beautiful thing. In the Christian faith, our response can only be it's already been done. We've been called upon by God, and now we have an opportunity to accept the grace that he's given us. You know why? Because all that we do as Christians, is under the shadow of the cross. I'm so rich in mercy because of God's great love and mercy for me. And so we have a choice as our starting point for faith. When you embrace grace, you'll find something that the world doesn't have. You'll find peace. It's a peace, the Bible says, that passes all understanding. Listen, you can't have the peace of God unless you've got God. You can't have the kind of peace that only God can offer. The world is looking for it, but the world can't find that peace because there's no way that we can achieve it. But we can have peace even in the midst of conflict as Christians because we can have the peace of God. It's a peace that passes all understanding. Yeah, I'm going through a hardship, but you know what? Even in the midst of this, I've got peace because I've got God. And that's all I need. And now here's the question I want you to answer. This is your homework for today, and we're going to wrap it up. Here's what I want to ask you. When you think about the unconditional grace of God, when you think about there's nothing I can do to deserve to be forgiven, there's nothing I can do to pay for my sins, when you think about the undeserved, unconditional grace of God, what is your pushback? Where do you struggle with that? Where do you have a hard time embracing that and believing that? Well, I know God can save these other people, but you don't know what he's done in my life. You don't know what I've done. And I'm not so sure he can forgive me. People really believe that. They think that all the time. But when God looks at you and me, if we're Christians, when he looks at us, all he sees is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if there's something that's holding us back from embracing the grace of and the mercy and the peace that only God gives, 
then we need to have a come to Jesus experience and say, Lord, help me just to let go, to release that, and to embrace it, and to take it as my own. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the freedom that we have to even talk about this. Thank you for preserving these ancient texts that Paul wrote about 2,000 years ago. Lord, we don't have to negotiate. We don't have to bargain. You are a heavenly Father who loves your children. And all we have to do is ask and then trust you. Give us wisdom to know what to do. And then give us the courage to do it. And all God's children said, Amen.